U.S. President Donald Trump returned to the Oval Office uh, less than one week after he announced he tested positive for COVID-19 amid widespread concerns that he could still be contagious. He is striving to get back to the campaign and uh, try to convince voters that he deserves re-election. Now, uh, in another twist, the Commission on Presidential Debates announced that the candidates would take part in the second presidential debate virtually from separate remote locations. Trump, for his part, has refused to take part in a virtual debate, uh, saying that he has no time for this, and it would be ridiculous to sit behind a computer. There's a lot to catch up here with, and so we're very pleased to be joined once again by the White House correspondent for USA Today on the line, David Jackson. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm doing great, sir. Thank you for joining us. I want to first uh, talk about some of the breaking news that's been coming out in the past few hours about uh, this supposed plot by extreme right-wing groups to kidnap the the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, um, wh- what do we know about this? And, and in your view, just I mean, I know this is very early, but uh, it, it, do you think this is going to have a, an effect on the campaign? It's hard to say about the latter. It depends on how much yeah. publicity it gets. But uh, basically, the FBI announced the arrests of a group of people, four or five guys, who basically had this uh, kind of wild plot to uh, try to kidnap the governor of Michigan from her vacation home in northern Michigan. Uh, unfortunately for the plotters, there was an FBI informant in their midst who mm. told authorities about this. So there were arrests for the day that there was they, they hadn't even begun the, the plot yet. But uh, it was it was quite a startling story because a couple of months ago, uh, President Trump was very critical of M- Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer because she insisted on having the state closed down to right. protect people from co- the COVID spread. Uh, Trump uh, at that point in time was critical of a lot of Democratic governors who he said were were keeping their states closed unfairly. And one of the people he singled out was Whitmer. And like at one point, he sent out a tweet saying, liberate Michigan. And a lot of the critics felt like that was almost a call to arms for some people. And and now now folks are wondering whether (laughs) this group that wanted to kidnap the governor are among those people. So uh, the governor made mention of Trump's rhetoric, and she felt like that that may be uh, that it may be inciting people to do violent things. The Trump people deny it. Uh, it's, uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a something. It's it's a crisis or a, it's a tension that that have been spreading throughout the United States uh, throughout the year, and uh, that came to a head in Michigan today as to whether it will be an issue in the election. I don't know. Yeah. It depends on how much of an issue Joe Biden makes of it. Right, and and people have been attributing, as you say, uh, some of the inflammatory comments in the past by. Uh, President Trump towards Whitmer uh, in inciting these groups. Um, and, and there's an automatic sort of linkage with uh, these people who are being charged right now, uh, David, with the uh, that very viral scene of those um, right-wing protesters who st- kind of stormed the statehouse capital in right. Michigan with the assault rifles and, and people wondering, are, are these kind of groups sort of intertwined with each other? There, there are many connections yet. I mean, people are still looking at their background. It was, uh, it's my understanding, it was this a bunch of young people from the low twenties. Uh-huh. Very, they they do appear to be Trump fans, but uh, and they do appear to have been active in their local militias. But the, there's no there's no direct linkage to the kind of protests you were talking about that we saw in Michigan earlier this year. All right. Let's also get an update now on this uh, second uh, presidential debate, if and when it does take place. Uh, the uh, uh, Commission on Presidential Debates has uh, made, and again, just from the perspective of Korea, it does 
we're, we're pretty strict here in terms of quarantine regulations and social distancing measures, but it just seems like a no-brainer um, decision to, to have this second debate be virtual, especially in light of uh, one of the participants um, still being COVID-19 positive and just erring on the uh, side of caution. Uh, where do you think things stand right now? It, it does seem clear that Trump would prefer to be in person, so um, maybe to engage in some of the similar debate strategies that he used in the first debate to, to talk over uh, the moderator and his, his opponent. But do, do you think we're going to have a second debate? Uh, I think we will have a second debate. It's just a question as to when. But you're right. The uh, the president did flush the idea of, a, of a, a virtual debate, but I think it's more of an opening bid in, in mm. negotiating with the debate commission as to what the rules should be for the second debate. Just scheduled for a week from tonight in Miami, so there, there's there's still some time for people to work some stuff out. But there's a feeling that the, the president's been known to make proclamations and then change his mind, so there's right. some feeling that he could actually change and, and go ahead and acquiesce to a virtual debate. We'll just have to see what happens in the coming days. Um, it's it's right now he seems pretty adamant and in fact he claims he's going to go ahead and schedule a rally for that night well while whereas joe biden has already scheduled a, a different town hall for, for the, mm. night of the second debate so i think at this point as we're speaking it, it's the idea of the second debate going on as scheduled next thursday october 15th i think that's kind of sketchy right now and i think that's a bit of a long shot there's a th- there's always been a third debate that was set for october 22nd and i still think there's a decent chance that that will take place right and uh, we did have a, a debate to um, kind of mull over that occurred last night which was the vice presidential debate the one and only uh, debate for this uh, campaign between the uh, incumbent Vice President Mike Pence and his Democratic challenger, uh, Senator Kamala Harris uh, of California. A a lot of hot takes uh, in the aftermath of that debate. It does feel like... um, (laughs) Always. Yeah, uh, bottom line, it it is going to be be remembered for the fly and the the pink eye (laughs) rather than any specific things. What were your takeaways? And uh, again, I think the conventional wisdom seems to be that, uh, as is almost always the case, a vice president debate won't be a game changer. No, not at all. I don't think it will have any impact at all. I mean, my sense of it is that the the people who like Trump thought Pence won, and the yeah. people who like Biden thought Harris won. And I think all the people in the middle kind of thought it was a draw. I think both candidates did 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 well. They got the points across. I mean, the fly I think was a, it's just a kind of a kind of a quirky little thing. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of people do wonder how why Vice President Pence didn't notice that there was a fly on his head, but I guess he was deep in thought. I mean, you mentioned the pink eye. To me, as a reporter, it was frustrating because the I think the people in the Pence team would tell you that uh, they, they, they didn't have pink eye. He just had a burst blood vessel in his eye, which is something that happens to a lot of us at a certain age. Yeah, but they, they wouldn't uh, admit they wouldn't acknowledge that for the record, and they still have yet to comment for the record what was troubling the vice president. So I, I thought that was kind of an odd thing. But um, they, the bottom line is he did test negative for COVID. I mean mm. that was a big rumor for a while. And that is not true. And and he, and he did well. I mean, certainly Trump thought he did very well, and a lot of Trump supporters thought he won the debate. So I, I would say that uh, it, was, it was actually, I thought it was a pretty good debate, and I think both candidates did what they wanted to do, and it won't make a bit of difference in the election. Yeah, things that will make a bit of difference probably uh, are, are the public perception towards uh, the COVID-19 response, but especially with the super spreader event that took place in the White House. And I, I understand as a White House correspondent in these difficult times, uh, a lot of the work has to be virtual and and um, all. But uh, there have been men- many members of the uh, White House press corps now that have been indeed uh, uh, infected uh, by COVID-19. Um, what, 
what is the sense there, and and even for yourself, uh, in terms of the personal precautions that you've had to take, um, maybe not personally being exposed, but also just in the sense that uh, people around you may potentially be kind of indirect um, uh, vectors of of all of this. How concerning is the situation right now among not just the White House press corps, but uh, among people in the White House themselves? Oh, very concerning. I mean, just an hour before you called, uh, there was an announcement that we've had another journalist in the right. White House who's tested positive for COVID. I tested negative today, so okay, good. I, I haven't been implicated. But there's a lot of concern. A lot of people don't want to go over to the White House until this this wave has passed through. A lot of people who have to work at the White House have taken their chairs and, in some cases, their desks outside on the driveway outside the West Wing and are, and are basically working outside because they just don't want to be within the building. A lot of white West Wing officials are working from home, and it's a, it's a, it's a lot of anxiety and frustration because no, you know no one knows. We still don't know where this started and who started it, who who patient zero is, and and there's certainly no indication that the the wave has stopped passing through the West Wing. So, it's it's, it's very concerning. Yeah, and I'm sure you're aware that uh, from the outside. Uh, of the United States. It's just a very surreal situation to see that uh, right. these precautions are not being, these commonsensical, even Trump's own CDC guidelines in terms of uh, social distancing protocols are not being met right now, even by the president himself, uh, which potentially puts more and more people at risk, including the White House press corps. That being said, that might be considered the uh, October surprise, as people have been talking about uh, in terms of COVID-19 uh, affecting the president and his close aides. But the other rumored October surprise has always been this rollout of a, of a miracle cure or, or vaccine or treatment for, for COVID-19. Uh, what do you know so far as far as this back and forth between the Food and Drug Administration really uh, trying to say they're going to go by the science and that might not indicate a, uh, an approval before November 3rd and, and Trump sort of uh, being a little bit unhappy about that? Do you think there is something afoot that could potentially lead to an announcement before November 3rd? I think there was something afoot, but I think it's been kibosh. Mm. I, don't, I don't think we'll have a vaccine before Election Day. The deal was a couple of weeks ago, the, there was a new FDA rule that and basically what it boiled down to was they were insisted on testing protocols and other scientific methods before any vaccine was approved. Uh, the white, there are some people in the White House who do thought that they were that the FDA was overdoing it and that that extra requirement was going to delay the uh, the completion of a successful vaccine. So I think there was some thought among White House officials to try to kill that rule. But uh, they were found out, and they basically gave up the game. And so the FBI still has, you know, they're still doing their own rules. They're not going to permit any public uh, exposure to a vaccine until it's, it's been tested thoroughly and that they know that it's safe. And that means that we won't have a vaccine probably before the end of the year, much less the election. So okay. any hopes that Trump had of being able to announce a vaccine sometime before November 3rd, I, I think that's pretty much gone. He's frustrated by that, but it's just something he's going to have to deal with. Well, we talk about essential workers uh, and frontline workers who, who are sort of putting their uh, lives on the line to, to uh, help people out. And you're definitely one of that group now with this uh, infection at the White House and, and uh, covering the stories there for the, the wider public. Uh, we thank you uh, once again, David Jackson, and uh, hope you stay in good health. Thank you very much. Great. Uh, we'll do it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You too. And we're going to go ahead and continue our discussion here uh, in regards to the president, really more away from the political aspects of uh, Trump's reelection bid, but the health aspects. Uh, he was positive 
he tested positive for COVID-19. That in and of itself is a huge story. Now, the way he's handled it has been very controversial. He's now been saying that this was a blessing in disguise. He's citing God, uh, maybe try to uh, stir up his evangelical Christian base for this. But what about his actual diagnosis and and the condition he's in and the treatments that he's received? We're going to get some analysis on this right now from a medical expert uh, from the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Michigan Medical School. Very pleased to have joining us uh, Professor Chiun Pang on the line. Hello. 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 Thank you for joining us, Professor Pang. Uh, the frequent quest testing that uh, the White House uh, claims uh, Trump and most of the staff at the White House undergoes, this daily testing, that's really been put under dispute because they are not uh, disclosing the last negative test that the president received before uh, being um, confirmed with COVID-19. Uh, in your view, do you, how do you think that the, the White House has handled this from a medical perspective? Um, so I don't think they've, you know, handled it well, basically. And, you know, the frequent testing is, an, uh, is a tool, and I, and I do think it's a useful tool. Um, and, and that's probably why Trump um, was without COVID-19, despite um, being in large meetings and large gatherings, but it's it's not it's not a perfect tool. And I, and I think what happened was um, he relied solely on this method. He wasn't wearing masks, to my knowledge, to on a routine basis. He was going to these large events without masks, and his um, supporters were also, for the most part, were not wearing masks. Some of it was outdoors, but some of it was indoors. So, so the frequent testing method is a, is a useful tool, but there needs to be other things that needs to be done to maximize the benefit. And I don't think that happened. And I think that's probably why he, he, he was infected with COVID-19. Now, uh, much has also been made of the treatment he's received, and maybe uh, we'll get to the, the transparency as to the, the doctor briefings uh, that have ensued in terms of uh, detailing uh, both the treatment as well as uh, his actual accurate condition. But he does seem to be the only person um, who has received the unique sort of um, array of drugs. He was given remdesivir. He was given this uh, uh, cocktail, this experimental antibody therapy, uh, Regeneron. And he also has been receiving doses of uh, the, anti, uh, the, the steroidal uh, dexamethasone. I, I know this is going to get maybe too technical, but can you just give us your thoughts on, on the overall treatment protocol that he received? Yeah, so he was treated by a group of experts, very smart people. And, um, and, and so, um, so let me just walk you through, I guess, the, the treatment plan that he received. Um, so, so just go, going over like a brief overview of COVID-19. So it's basically a virus that infects you. So for a virus to infect you, it starts infecting cells and it has to attach to a receptor. And, and what the monoclonal antibody does, it, it prevents the virus from attaching to a cell through that receptor. It basically neutralizes the um, what we call the spike protein, which the cell recognizes. And so once you get this monoclonal antibody, you lose that um, spike protein so that the cell can't recognize the virus, so the virus can't go into the virus. And that the monoclonal antibody cocktail that he received. Um, he shortly after, I think that 
that that same day received remdesivir. And what remdesivir does is, when, so the virus infects the cells and it goes inside the cells. And once it goes inside the cells, it has to replicate and it needs an enzyme to do that. And so what remdesivir does, it inhibits that enzyme so that the virus cannot replicate. So it, it works in a different way. And so basically what he received was two drugs targeting the virus. One prevented the virus from entering into the cell. One, the remdesivir, prevented the virus from replicating. And so that was kind of the main um, thinking probably um, behind these two interventions. Uh, we know the viral load, the amount of virus in you is high in the early phases of the illness. And that's probably why the doctors decided to give him this aggressive regimen very early on. And so he was receiving all that, but to my knowledge, based on what I've been what the press conference has um, told us, he started dropping his oxygen, I think, around day four, um, day three, since um, he tested positive. And so what you need to know about COVID-19 is you the virus goes in you, it replicates, it doesn't cause much problems or symptoms when it replicates, but your immune system is able to take care of it the virus level goes down and it kind of goes away, but the immune system in a way overreacts to the virus. Mm. And that overreaction of your immune system to the virus is oftentimes what makes you sick. And so my, thing, my guess is that when they saw that um, oxygen level drop, they probably had other lab information and they probably had, and I don't know, I'm guessing, but they probably had imaging studies suggesting that now he was in his um, hyperimmune or, or, the, or the, the immune-mediated phase of the illness where your immune system is really kind of um, starting to attack your body in a way. And that's kind of when the dexamethasone mm. can potentially benefit someone. And um, there's, there's a lot of controversy about the timing of the dexamethasone because some of the studies do suggest if you use it too early, the uh, benefits might not be there. Right. And then there's the theoretical concern that if you use dexamethasone, which is a steroid, which suppresses your immune system, will that make the virus replicate more? So the timing, there's a, some controversy behind that, but, but we just don't have all the information to, to judge the decision that was made. And so those are kind of the three drugs that he got. These are kind of, this is kind of the reasoning behind um, the timing um, and why he got these medications. Well, we thank you for that very detailed uh, look into the uh, the treatments that he received. I think we understand that better now. Uh, it's easy for all of us, uh, lay people like myself and, and medical experts like yourself, to to play armchair doctor and do differential diagnos- uh, diagnosis, uh, just looking at video clips and, and uh, public appearances and, and uh, all of these other things. But it's been often cited, Professor Bang, that uh, Trump is a patient who is elderly, 74 years old. He's got comorbidities. He's, he's obese. Uh, he perhaps has a lifestyle and diet that is not necessarily conducive to a positive outcome uh, should you become infected by COVID-19. Just discussing everything you've said with the, the diagnosis and the treatments and what he's been able to portray publicly. Um, he's He is definitely not somebody who's we can definitively say is out of the woods yet because it does appear that the doctors now are saying that they are going to clear him to return to public events on Saturday. 
Yeah, so I, I don't think he's out of the woods. He most likely is, but I, I don't think he's 100% out of the woods. When, when we admit patients and take care of patients with COVID-19, day 7 to 10 is kind of around the time frame where we kind of like to watch these patients very closely um, because that's kind of when your immune system can start ramping up and start causing a lot of inflammation in your body okay. and, and make you sick. And, and I think he's around day nine, maybe day eight mm-hmm. to nine right mm-hmm. now. So he's close to that point where um, we worry less. Um, I, I'm looking at some of the interviews he's doing on, on Twitter, and he looks fine, actually. So, okay. And then he did receive a drug combination regimen that, that I've never used before in combination because I don't have access to the monoclonal antibody. Mm. So, so my guess is he'll do okay. Um, I want to wait maybe a few more days before I say um, he'll likely do okay. Um, but but, right. but my guess is he'll do okay. Okay. But, but there's a chance he might. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Professor Pang, we always appreciate your medical expertise uh, on these issues and more, and we definitely look forward to uh, talking to you again uh, uh, should the need arise. Uh, thank you so much, and hope you have a good weekend. All right. Thank you. That was Professor Jihoon Bang from the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Michigan Medical School. We'll be back after this.